Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another RAIB Roundup. These are the episodes of Signals to Danger where we look at current affairs in the world of railway safety and the work of the Rail Accident Investigation Branch. My name's Dan Fox and I am the producer of the Signals to Danger podcast and a railwayman in my day-to-day life. This week in the Roundup, we are going to be chatting about an incident last week with the Scotsman, Flying Scotsman that is, up in the Scottish Highlands. We're going to briefly mention a new investigation that the branch has taken on, and finally, we're going to take a look at what makes an accident reportable to the REIB. You might be able to tell that I'm struggling a little bit from sore throat and things like that, but at least it's one of these episodes that's going to suffer from the, the croaky breathiness. But I'll do my best to try and narrow that down for you. With the introduction out of the way, let's get cracking on this week's REIB Roundup. So let's start with a little bit of info about the Flying Scotsman. The Scotsman is a famous locomotive by all accounts, probably one of the most famous. And we'll just begin this section by pointing out that the Flying Scotsman is actually a train service. In fact, an express passenger train service operates between Edinburgh and London via the East Coast Main Line. And that actually started in 1862 as the Special Scotch Express until 1924. And it's still running today, currently operated by London Northeastern Railway, LNER, using their Hitachi-built A2X stock. But that's not the Scotsman that we're talking about today. Today we're talking about one of the specific locomotives which operated those services back in the earlier half of the 1900s, specifically the LNER Class A3 number 4472, which was named Flying Scotsman. From the point it was built in 1923, 4472 became a flagship local for the LNER, representing the company twice at the British Empire Exhibition and in 1928, hold the first inaugural non-stop Flying Scotsman service. Over its life, it set two world records for steam traction, firstly becoming the first local to officially reach 100 mile an hour, and then also setting the longest non-stop run of 422 miles on the 2nd of August 1989, only a month or so before I turned up in this planet, while in Australia, or at least that's what Wikipedia tells me. 
Actually, the non-stop run was a pretty neat feat, and it was a bit of a game changer. Steam trains needed to stop to top off with coal and water. Let's face it, without them, they're pretty much useless. And these non-stop runs were achieved through the use of an upgraded tender, which held an extra long ton of coal, and it also had a corridor connection in there, so a change of driver and fireman could take place while the train was underway. Water, that was replenished through a system of water troughs several times en route. But in any case, it's absolutely fair to say, Scotsman did capture the hearts of the nation. And since it was retired by BR back in 1963, it's been preserved by a number of people and groups. Firstly, Alan Pegler. He bought the loco for the princely sum of three and a half grand, kept it till 1972, taking it to the States to run tours. There are a couple of murky details in there about who it could carry, where it could run. And Pegler ended up with some very large debts owed to US railway companies. Eventually, he left the loco over in the US to save it from debtors. Following this, the loco was eventually purchased by William McAlpine. Yep, the construction William McAlpine for around 25 grand, enough to clear out those outstanding debts. McAlpine had the loco for 22 years, all the way through to 95, and in that time it toured Australia. It transported the Queen Mother by pulling the Royal Train. It drew music mogul Pete Waterman into the fold when he and McAlpine formed Flying Scotsman Railways. In 95, however, Scotsman derailed, and when it was put back into steam, smoke emerged from a crack. Well, it was deemed a total failure, immediately withdrawn from service. And if you haven't picked up on the trend by now, Scotsman's preservation to this point has been at the mercy of wealthy businessmen who also have a keen love of the railway. Second trend is that it tends to generate its own financial difficulties. Both trends continued, so by 1996 McAlpine and Waterman had run into financial issues and to help pay off an overdraft, they put Scotsman on sale. On the 23rd of February, entrepreneur Tony Marchington, already pretty well known at that point in the steam preservation movement, he bought the loco, a set of Pullman coaches and the Southall Depot for £1.5 million, as you can tell. Every person who's buying this thing is paying more than the last one, and that's probably not just inflation. But anyway, he spent uh, a further million pound on the locomotive's subsequent overhaul to get it back up to mainline running condition, which lasted three years, and at that point, it was the most extensive in its history. The nation's love of this loco was still elevant, though, this elephant? Evident, though, at this point. Flying Scotsman's first run following the overhaul was on the 4th of July 1999, hauling the inaugural Scotsman from London King's Cross to York, and estimated a million people turned out to see this train. But, like I've just mentioned, there are two trends around this locomotive. In 2003, a new business was created, Flying Scotsman PLC, but in September of 2003, Marchington was declared bankrupt. The Flying Scotsman PLC CEO announced losses of 474000 and with a £1.5 million overdraft at Barclays, stated that the company only had enough cash to trade until April 2004. Which brings us to the final stage of the local's preservation history. In 2004, when Scotsman was put on sale in a sealed debt agency auction, the National Railway Museum in York announced that it would bid and appealed for funds with a Save Our Scotsman campaign. It secured a winning bid of two and a half million, well, two point three million, which was fifteen percent higher than the second highest bidder, and the loco entered public ownership as part of the NRM's national collection. So between two thousand and six and two thousand and sixteen, Scotsman was heavily overhauled to the point where it was able to operate mainline steam services once more, 
And level when it does, it really draws the crowds to a fault. People stood next to live lines, hanging off bridge parapets, going where they're really not allowed to go, disrupting the, the live railway, all for that perfect picture of the Scotsman. It's chaos, but it's really, really clear that that train just has never lost its magic. And 2023 is the local centenary. 100 years old this year. So a raft of activities have been planned to celebrate static displays, runs on the main line, visits to heritage railways. And that is what brings us to why I'm talking about the Scotsman today. One of the planned centenary activities was the locals' visit to the Strathspey Heritage Railway in Scotland last weekend. And while it was there, we started to receive some concerning news. Breaking news alerts told us how there had been a collision between two trains at Aviemore Station on the Highland Main Line, and the news gently eased into telling us that one of those two was the Flying Scotsman, and that the emergency services had attended and people were taken to hospital. Of course, we could understand why the panic mill set into progress, and before long I'd seen comments on Twitter saying that Scotsman had reversed into a Scotrail train and knocked it over. I'd seen other tweets that were telling everyone who was reading them that carriages were on their side. You get the drift. Before long, however, Scott Rail had confirmed on Twitter that none of their trains were involved and that the news stories fleshed out a little bit and things seemed to be a bit less dramatic. The threads on the forums were drawing out some more of the detail of what had actually taken place. And there have been a few more formal announcements that have been made since the event, clarifying what took place and a couple of videos... Well, they've emerged as well, um, showing us what happened. But the short version is that the Flying Scotsman was involved in what its owners are calling a shunting incident at Aviemore. While reversing up to the Royal Scotsman, not to be confused with the Flying Scotsman, the Royal Scotsman luxury train service on the Strathspeys Preserved Trout... I am really not getting my words out. While reversing up to the Royal Scotsman... I honestly might just give up podcasting at this point because it's not really working for me. While reversing up to the Royal Scotsman Luxury Train Service on the Strathspey Preserved Railway, the Scotsman failed to slow to an appropriate speed before it collided with the buffers of the coaching stock in what some people are calling a hard shunt. The owners, the National Rail Museum, have released a statement about the event which says that following the shunting incident involving Flying Scotsman and the Royal Scotsman carriages at Strathspey Railway on Friday the 29th of September, immediate action was taken by teams on the ground to alert the emergency services and prepare for a full investigation of the incident. Standard procedures are being followed to assess what happened during the incident and inspections are taking place by an independent investigator on behalf of Strathspey Railway and the NRM's Collections and Rail Operations team. In addition, the Rail Accident Investigation Branch, the RAIB, has been notified. The museum's aim is to understand what happened and to determine if there are any damage to the Flying Scotsman as its owner. We will make further announcements about Flying Scotsman's operating calendar and future dates once investigations are complete. The National Rail Museum wishes to thank the emergency services who attended the scene on Friday for their prompt response and to the staff and crew of the Strathspey Railway and the Royal Scotsman train. The RAIB themselves have also issued a statement saying that the RAIB is aware of the accident at Aviemore that occurred over the weekend, 
We are reviewing available evidence and deciding what further action to take. So my initial thoughts then, they're relatively limited. I do like to wait for facts before I comment, but I'll be following this closely. Watching the videos of the incident, the, uh, the Scotsman flying was certainly traveling too quickly for a normal coupling move. And there seemed to be a distinct lack of staff on the ground watching the train come in towards the carriages. There is always also a mainline rulebook requirement uh, when coupling, which is designed to avoid this sort of incident. It's to draw up to two meters apart, so six foot six inches, and then stop before proceeding the trains close together. There's also a, a second stop if you're using automatic couplers generally. But this is not something that was taking place on the day. Um, as a result of the incident taking two people taking place, two people were taken to hospital, but it sounds as though, as though they were probably only minor injuries, thankfully. We'll wait to see what happens in relation to the REIB, whether they feel the need to investigate as they assess the preliminary data or not. And my current money, I'm really not an expert on this, but my current money is that we might see a safety digest on this one, similar to what we saw following an incident on the North York Moors Railway quite recently. But I might be proven wrong in that regard. We don't know what the RIB is going to pull out of their initial investigations, which will be what dictates what happens next. One thing that has taken place um, since then is that the railway itself has taken the step in the last few days to suspend sales of its Santa specials while this whole thing is looked into. The charity said that they have to assess and understand the implications of Friday's incident, consider any advice arising from the REIB or the RR investigation from which they'll then move forward. They're a regulated business, it's the right and proper thing to do, and staff have been given time out or they're busy dealing with refunds and communicating with disappointed customers because as a result of this, all the remaining Scotsman activity that was planned for the rest of the weekend, that just didn't take place, understandably. So that's really all I can say on this particular incident at this point. But as a word of caution, though, this incident is a prime example of why speculating with details can be really challenging. You know, as this event unfolded, you're following Twitter, you're reading clickbait sensationalist journalism which i'm sorry but it really does exist nowadays um if you were just to take that at face value share what you've seen you know that person that tweeted that carriages were on their side i could have retweeted that from my account and i mean there's there's not millions of you but that would have been me resharing that with nearly 1500 people and you could be forgiven for for thinking that a really, really serious incident had taken place reading these tweets and these initial news reports. And if you were just going to share that willy-nilly and not try and understand the situation fully, you could start spreading that fear. You could start a, a panic. You'd leave people worried for relatives or friends' safety. Um, it, thankfully, it wasn't a terrible incident by all accounts, but I definitely wondered if it was going to be when I was initially scanning Twitter X, Twitex last weekend. Anyway, that's my my warning. Don't just share things. Try and understand what's going on fully. Um, and that's the brief update of what we know about the Scotsman incident to date. So that means it's time for us to go on with the show. So today, or the 5th of October, which is yesterday to you if you're listening to this on release day, the RIB published notification of an incident they are going to investigate. At around 16.42 on the 22nd of August this year, 
an electric loco operated by Freightliner, which was on a test run between Nuneaton and crew, passed a signal at red on the approach to Stafford-Trent Valley Number 1 junction. We know that SPADs, or signals passed at danger, are one of the more serious incidents on the railway, especially when those signals are protecting the movements of other trains, like in this situation. Once it went through the signal, the loco then ran through some points as it came to stand at the junction, and it appears that the position where the loco stopped that conflicted with the route that had been set for another train. Really, really dangerous place for a train to be, when A, no one's expecting it to be, and B, it's not supposed to be there. Thankfully, neither that train nor any other trains were in the immediate vicinity at the time. As a result of the incident, no one was injured, and the local didn't derail, but there was some damage that was sustained to the points when they were run through because they weren't set for the correct route, so luckily, just some infrastructure damage. The branch tells us that the focus of this investigation is going to be to identify the sequence of events, also the actions of anyone involved, anything that might have influenced them, the management of drivers working for Freightliner, including their training and their competence, the configuration and performance of the signaling equipment and the locomotive, and of course, that old chestnut, any underlying management factors. So all the stuff we expect to see in that, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that report. And we'll all just have to wait and see. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So on to the next section of today's Roundup episode, and it's going to be the last section because I've probably talked for just about as long as my throat is going to manage to survive for this week. Last time we met for a roundup episode, I mentioned the phrase reportable in the context of whether the RAIB needed to be reported about accidents that took place. And then I said I would share that info with you going forwards. So here we are. I'm going to start by stating that not every accident that takes place on the railway needs the RAIB to be involved. You do quite often see on places like Twitter, um, whenever there's a, a minor incident, well, we'll see what the RAIB has to say about that. Not always the case. Um, we know that some incidents are subject to full investigations, others to safety digests, and that that decision is made by the branch when they've looked at the initial facts, once an incident has been reported to them. But it's that step where the incident is reported to them that we're going to be discussing this time round. So, how does an operator know that they need to report an incident to the branch? Luckily, there is a really nice black and white schedule which lets them know exactly what and not only should they report it, but how quickly they need to. If you want some nice peaceful bedtime reading, you can download the 114-page document Guidance on the Railways, Accident Investigation and Reporting, 
Regulations 2005, from the Gov website. This beefy document, with a lot of green text in it by the way, tells us everything we need to know about the statutory rights and responsibilities that the RAIB has to investigate incidents on the railway and the complicity which is required from other organisations to help them do that, as well as some stuff about how the RAIB investigation dovetails in with other organisations, um, how their aims measure up against their other organisations' aims. But in any case, of those many pages and that big old raft of information, today we're going to focus in on one key area. What do organisations need to report to the branch? Well, railway industry bodies are required to notify the branch um, about incidents which fall into five different categories. And I'm pretty sure my next door neighbour's dog has just started off. So if you hear a dog, I haven't just got one. I'm still very much a cat person, um, or at least a cat family. But the five different categories are certain, but not all fatalities, specified major injuries, derailments, collisions, and some other specified dangerous occurrences. And they're five areas you'll probably recognize from reports that we've covered in the past. So knowing that there are some specified incidents that need reporting, I'm now going to throw another consideration into the list there, which is that not everything needs reporting within the same time frame. Some things need to be reported immediately via the telephone. You ring up the branch when this happens, you tell them it's happened, and then you follow up virtually straight afterwards with a paperwork form. Some of them... They only need reporting within three working days via reform. And finally, there are some that can be submitted as part of a bulk monthly filing of incidents. Nice and easy. As you can tell, um, there's probably a correlation between how quickly you need to tell the branch and how serious the incident was. So I could just leave it at that, let you figure out that the more serious are immediate, the least serious are minor, and the, the little ones are just do it at the end of the month. That's the end of the podcast. Ta-ra, travel safe. It's not like me, is it? I love a chance to waffle. So let's have a quick look at what's what, working down from the immediate to the bulk ones. The immediate reports, these comprise of the examples listed within Schedule 1 of the 2005 regulations. Um, And I'll refer to this section as Schedule 1 quite a few times, especially when we move on to the other sections. Um, but it's the more serious ones. So the first of these, the first on the list is deaths to staff, passengers or members of the public caused in accidents or incidents involving moving trains or to staff closely associated with train operations. That means that any incident which involves a moving train and causes a death must be immediately reported, but with one notable exception. Any deaths that are the result of suicide, trespass, assault, or natural causes, they don't need to be reported. So examples of that would be if if a train was in collision with another train and someone was killed, or if a driver had climbed down from his train to examine it and was struck by another and killed, then those would be notifiable immediately. But the tragic case is that you do get of two youths who've trespassed onto the railway and are spraying graffiti in an embankment wall when they hit by a train, that's not reportable. And uh, if someone had chosen to end their lives on the railway, um, that also wouldn't be reportable under this. The second immediately reportable category then is serious injury to two or more staff, passengers or members of the public caused in accidents or incidents involving moving trains. 
and again or to staff closely associated with train operations and again with this one it's got that same caveat on there if it's the natural causes trespass um suicide they don't get reported um note the link to moving trains well, this is quite important though so if for example um uh, someone was working on a work site and they'd fallen from the elevated platform of a road rail vehicle that might very well be reportable to the health and safety executive but it wouldn't be reportable to the RAIB because it doesn't involve a train a moving train it's just an accident that happened to have taken place on the railway it's not a rail accident you know the same accident could have taken place on any elevated working platform at any work site it's a construction accident so as a train operator you wouldn't be reporting your slips, trips and falls around the station to the branch, no matter how serious the consequences. So uh, lovely, uh, lovely old Joe is on the escalators at London Paddington um, and he falls down those escalators. He could have a really nasty accident, hurt himself um, and you get all the care in the world, but it would never become an RAIB investigation because it doesn't involve the train. It's not a rail specific accident. Moving on to the next immediately notifiable instance, they are level crossing accidents involving death or serious injury, um, with the same caveats again as before. And then there's collisions between rolling stock if it's not inner siding. If it's inner siding, that doesn't get reported in the same way. Um, if it causes damage, so that's collisions between rolling stock other than inner siding, which causes damage to the vehicles. Following that one, we move into the next one, which is one of the big in he's got me bunny ears out big railway accident types derailments in fact if you have any derailment on any line which is open to the traffic uh, or which subsequently blocks a running line that's open to traffic get yourself on the phone to mr areib um, the same if you experience a collision of rolling stock with buffer stops or any other automatic stop devices again other than in a siding which causes damage so we're looking at your Enfield Town situations here. Get yourself on the phone to the RAIB. If you're transporting goods and an incident results in the release of or causes a fire involving dangerous goods, which means that the area around it has to be evacuated, that's an immediate notification too. Scarily, this does include the, uh, the qualifier that this includes radioactive material. Terrifying concept. But we know that nuclear flask trains are still a relatively routine site on some areas of the network. Sellafield, I'm looking at you. The last few of these are a little different, as they place a quantitative measure on whether or not a report is required. Um, so the first is accidents or incidents that lead to the closure of a route for more than six hours, uh, not weather-related. So if you have a any incident, which means that that route is closed for six hours, that gets reported to the RAIB. Five hours and 30 minutes? Doesn't have to be, not immediately. Um, the second one is an incident that causes in excess of 2 million euros worth of damage to trains, infrastructure or environment. Uh, that includes things like rolling stock being written off, major track structure damage, or if there's a significant pollution incident. So you could have an accident where... Um, a train is written off, that would need to be reported. That would be over the threshold. I'm not entirely sure what your average train costs nowadays, but two million quid's not a lot of um, a lot of money when you look at some heavy plant and building sites being sort of 350, 450k. So the final one in the immediate notification section, which I believe is probably 
one of the most important ones to our safety culture is the near miss category. And it's that any accident or incident that is immediately reportable to the RIB, if it could have led to deaths or serious injuries or 2 million euros worth of damage, had the circumstances been slightly different. This is your wooden basset. This is your spittle junction. This is one of the reasons the network is so safe because if it could, if it was that close and it could have gone really badly wrong, the branch still gets to know about it. The branch still needs to know about it. And in quite a few circumstances, the branch is going to investigate it just as rigorously as if it did go badly. So that's the immediate notification category out the way. There are, as I said, some incidents that you must report within three days and they make up schedule two and they are as follows. Collisions with objects other than animals or items placed by vandals on the railway line as long as they didn't lead to any of the circumstances in schedule one. There's incidents that result in serious injury to only one person and that's on your trams, trains, railway property. If the event leading to the injury was connected with the operation of trains, so very similar to that second one in Schedule 1, um, but just one injury. So incidents where road vehicles foul running lines and damage tracks, so a crash from a bridge maybe onto the railway line, or people who misjudge their line side parking and go through a fence. Obviously, this is providing that this misadventure didn't result in any Schedule 1 circumstances. So the unintended division of any trains or trams while in service or being prepared for service, that's one there as well. That's a three-day notification. So if you just have two trains coupled together and you are taking them round and about the network and they just decide all by themselves not to be coupled together anymore, that's a three-day notification. The last three incidents that sit on that three-day notification docket are failures of axles, wheels and tyres, um, any train fires, including sort of severe electrical arcing and fusing, or the failure of rope on any cable-hauled railways whose total length is greater than one kilometre. That last one is a rather specific set of circumstances. I'm sure somebody in the comments could come out and tell me exactly where that's meant to apply to. I really can't think off the top of my head where that's going to be, and a very quick Google didn't particularly help me with that one. But that is the Schedule 2 amount. Those are the ones that need to be reported within three days. So last but not least, we have the Schedule 3 reportable instance, which are those that the RIB is kind enough to let you just wait till the end of the month to get over to them. As I'm sure you can imagine, these ones take quite a step down in seriousness. We start with failures of equipment at level crossings, which have reduced the level of safety on the railway, but are not notifiable under Schedule 1. Then there's broken rails or rails where pieces have been broken off or buckled rails where the route has had to be closed or a speed restriction put in place. Again, where it hasn't led to any consequences that would have been reportable under the other schedules. The monthly submission that's also got to include failures of structures such as tunnels, cuttings, bridges, embankments, culverts or stations, which have reduced the level of safety and signalling failures which have reduced the level of, fail uh, the level of safety by reducing the ability to detect or protect trains. Once again, with the caveat that they haven't led to any of the circumstances under Schedule 1. In addition, be prepared to add it to the report if you've had any signals passed at danger, unless the incident is already notifiable, 
or if you're a tram operator and you had any collisions between trams and road vehicles. So that's that. Those are the incidents that are reportable to the branch and the timeframes that are required. And I hope that run through is helpful so you can see things that have happened and it might give you more of an idea about whether or not the branch is going to get involved full stop. But also want to use some of the opportunities through these episodes to, you know, just give you a bit of information about the REIB um, or just point you in the direction of their website because there's a lot of information on there and don't think for a second that I don't get a lot of mine from there. But that actually wraps us up for this week's roundup. Um, I really don't think my throat can take much more. Um, and let's be fair, I want to save something for next time. So as I've said before, this is still quite a new concept. So the feedback is very much appreciated on the old socials. Um, and you know what? As ever, any interaction is very much appreciated. And actually, as of tonight, I'm about seven people shy of hitting 1,500 Twitter followers. So if you want to add yourself to that number and make me feel a little bit big-headed, um, you crack on because my more personal Twitter account, that's got nowhere near as much. Um, you can find me on Signals to Danger. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Signals to Danger or at Daniel Fox Rail. Uh, if emails you've seen, like I've said previously, if you want to drop me an email, you can drop me at daniel.fox at dfrailmedia.com. We do have merchandise now. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the social link for this one. But you want to support us in other ways, you're more than welcome to. You can get yourself over to patreon.com or at signals to danger.com and look at the support page, see how you can back the podcast in other ways. That is it from me. Um, I'm off to go and have a hot toddy. I think that's what they call them nowadays. Um, and until the next time you hear my voice, which will hopefully be healthier at the time, travel safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.